Good morning, Journey. Good to see you guys. My name's Chris. Uh, Glad we get to be together. We are finishing out a series that we've been calling The Story Beyond, where we've been engaging with God, learning how to engage with God through the pages of the Bible. And so here we are wrapping that up uh, on this Sunday. Glad we're here together. What we've been doing in this series It's actually been really fun and really helpful even for me. We've spent time talking about how God speaks, how we listen, the the role of the the Holy Spirit in the pages of the Bible to help us do that, and and how the the story is one in which God invites us to participate in and join him in. And so as, as I was thinking about how we finish this out, How do we finish talking about something like this? I thought it might be helpful if I gave us a a case study, so to speak. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into uh, the middle of the story of the the apostles in the book of Acts. And we're going to jump in in these early Christians who who are trying to figure out how to live out their Jesus following ways. They're now filled with the witnessing power of the Holy Spirit. And they're trying to discern what it means to be the people of God. And so as we're going to jump into this case study, so to speak, we're going to be looking at a question or an idea of of how do we discern then what God is saying, right? Not just through the, the pages of scripture, but as a people, how do we become these people that God is calling us to? And so in order to help us answer that question, I'm going to draw a picture. And if you were to guess what shape I might draw on this board, what would you guess? A triangle, correct. Okay, good. You guys, you guys if, you, if you didn't know the answer to that, you'll find if you're around here long enough, Bob like just draws triangles. One time he drew a circle and called it a triangle, which I just found out about that story, Bob. So we've got a triangle here, and this is gonna be a different triangle. We're gonna call this uh, the discernment triangle. So how do we discern, okay? And we're gonna look at three things that are needed. I'm already like covered in this stuff. This is weird, okay. Uh, here's the three things that are going to be happening. We're going to have the spirit. We're going to have the word, which is what we've been spending a bunch of time talking specifically about through this series. And then we're going to have community. This is the triangle that will help us discern what it is that God is saying to us. I'm going to put it up there now and it'll just be there and you'll get a look at it in my green hand. Stuff you just deal with, you know? Welcome to church. All right. Yeah, seriously. Okay. I'm going to pray. Does that sound good? Let's pray. God, first of all, I mean, we, do, we even just thank you for the gift of laughter, the gift of having fun, the, the gift of being together. Uh, I, I pray that we would never take that for granted, Lord. And, and as we enter into uh, this, this story in the book of Acts chapter 5, as we join in uh, these early Christians, these early followers of Jesus, that, that we would pay attention to the way in which they discern what it is you're saying to them, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that, that you would open up our, our lives to receive what it is you have for us. I pray that you would speak through your word and our time together. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, encouraged by the community that's surrounding us and that we would pay attention to the way in which these early followers of Jesus rely on each other as they rely on you, Lord. 
And, and, and all of that, I, God, I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning. I pray that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you, that we would do this together and we would honor you and make much of you. We love you and in your name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks. It's all dry now, so it doesn't even matter. Jeez, okay. Don't worry, guys. Look at it. Anybody got a hose? This one's wet. We're good. Man, last time I draw anything, I'll tell you what. Okay, so, hey, thanks, guys. That's where your community's gonna come in later, okay? So today we're gonna be in Acts 5, and we're looking at verses 17 through 42. I don't have them on your notes page. I don't have them on the screen. You can follow along if you want in your own Bible as well. But but I kind of want us to just pay attention to the story and the words. And I'll I'll read from the text, and you'll find yourself joining in. But uh, while it's quite a chunk, I think it's a story that's worth engaging and entering into. And and there's one thing, though, that kind of uh, needs to frame our time going into this. And, And I I just couldn't separate myself from this own personal feeling as every time I entered this story. I have a propensity to relate almost solely with the apostles. Like whenever I read the book of Acts, I think I am an apostle. Right, like that, that seems most exciting to me, right? Like I would like to join in with the heroes of the story. And so I'm not even necessarily saying it's a bad thing to associate ourselves with the apostles, but, but here's the challenge for me, and here's what I mean. I think it's natural to be inspired and drawn to the disciples, especially in the book of Acts, where they're doing these greater things than Jesus that Jesus was telling them they would do. But I start asking myself the question, what if... I'm more like those in the positions of power in this story. What if I'm more like Rome or I'm more like the high priest and his council? What if I'm more like those in charge? And so I wonder, are we reading when we engage with the Bible, not just now, but more often than not probably, from a position of power or privilege? Because we know this about history. History is written by the winners, right? This is true in in ways that are good and bad both, right? Except when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is not written by the quote unquote winners. And so many of us, myself included, have grown up in a, a life and an opportunity that a superpower, so to speak, has afforded us. That's just the reality of where we live and what we do. But it's also important to note that that's then the way in which we'll view this text that we dive into, this ancient holy scripture. So what if for today, at the very least, we imagined what it might be like to be the oppressed, the defeated, the occupied, the underside, so to speak. Because if we can do this just for this moment, what's happening is one, we're engaging with the real world in which these apostles trafficked in, but we're also uniting ourselves with Christian brothers and sisters throughout the globe, many of who live their Christian life out on the underside of the powers that be. And so there's something that helps us flip the text and come at it from another direction when we step outside of our own biases, or our own lens that we see the world through, which is not something to be guilty of or I feel guilt for, but it's just the reality. And so now we come from the other end. And as we do that, our intentions must be to now approach the scripture with a different kind of humility 
a different kind of hospitality, right? A different kind of generosity. And now we can be even more aware of our own intentions and we can recognize and acknowledge that the earliest followers of Jesus and Acts are a group of people who are living out the way of Jesus by the power of the Spirit as oppressed and occupied people. That's where they're coming from. And that will change the way in which we see the story. So I'm gonna start reading in Acts 5, verse 17. What happens just before the verse I'm gonna read is that there were a whole bunch of healings and there were a bunch of people being added to this community of believers. That's going on as the apostles live out this life. So verse 17, we pick up the story and here's what we find. The high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy because of the healings and the added number of this upstart community of Jesus followers. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Okay, none of you are going like this. What? You realize they went to jail, an angel of the Lord showed up, broke them out of jail and told them to go back to the place they were before and keep sharing the message they had been sharing. Like they've got to go back and share this message of life. Now, if you're arrested and you're put in jail and then an angel breaks you out, where are you gonna go? Home, away, to the next town, right? You're hightailing it out of there. But there's something different going on with these apostles, these early followers of Jesus. I mean, it could be that they heard from an angel to tell them to go and preach in the temple and they're like, Pretty hard to deny that. And so they go. But there's something in them as they bust out of jail, or not really bust, they just walk out, I guess, right? Like, they have to discern what it is they're going to do next. They have to decide what that looks like. Because when someone breaks free and chooses to do something that ultimately is going to benefit others instead of themselves, we become inspired. This is when we go, I want to be like the apostles. I want to connect with them. They're not acting like quote unquote normal people, right? There's something different going on with them. They don't stick to their own safety and their own ambitions. They follow the way of the Lord. And I love the way that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says it. He said they went to give the people this message of life. This message of life. It seems they've decided that their freedom that they now have is not for their own gain or their own purpose. Their freedom is to continue speaking the message of life. What a crazy call that they have. So even still, these followers do not even have a name yet, right? They're not even known as Christians in Acts 5. That doesn't happen until Acts 11, They're they're just an upstart religious community that's performing miracles and people are coming and joining in with their group. And so these so-called Christians later, as we find out, are just moving in the way of the kingdom. And it seems to me that early on as we enter this story, there are no locked doors in the kingdom of God when the message of life is at stake. I love that picture 
You can't contain it. And yet they keep going. So they bust out. They end up in the temple, right back where they started, prepared to preach. And here's what happens. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assemblies of the elders of Israel. And you have to picture all of this happening again, right? Like they, they don't even know they've all broken out of prison, right? They're just like getting all the, the hoity-toity team together, right? They're gathered up. They're all convening. They're walking in like, we're going to take care of this mess. And then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the, dra- the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. Can you imagine being the temple guards? You're like, oh my, we had one job, right? And they're not even here. And so they returned to the council and reported this. The jail was securely locked right there, covering their backs, with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. Remember, they've all gathered together, they've convened, they've sent people around, and then someone shows up. And this ends in an exclamation point. So they're, they're shouting this news, right? The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Man, it just kills me, you guys. This can be funny, just so you know. Right? These were people they arrested, and they put them in jail, and then an angel of the Lord broke them out, and they went back to the same place. They could not find them. Turns out, they're just standing there in the temple doing the same thing they were doing before. What? How, how is this happening? Like, if you're, if you're the council and all of this is happening in real time, right, you can't find your prisoners, but they're still teaching about Jesus right where you last picked them up. There's got to be something that connects you with this, the vibrancy with which these apostles approach the message of life that you're like, I want that. I want that. So how, how did they end up there? How did they end up back in the temple preaching about Jesus. They paid attention to the guiding spirit of God who came in the form of an angel telling them where to go and what to do. Right then, they had a foundation from the word of God who was Jesus himself. They had a message of life to go and speak. And that is from Jesus himself when the same words we have access to. And then they were a community that was coming forward in obedience and service. None of them were by themselves. They were always with other people. That's how they knew where to go. That's how they knew to discern what God had for them. So here's what happens next. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles for the second time, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Right, so they know they're going against something that's stirring in the lives of all of these people are hearing them teach. They then brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. What do you think if you were the high priest, you would have wanted to know about these apostles when you went and arrested them for the second time and brought them in front of you? How the frick did they get out? He doesn't even ask them. 
right? What, why do you think that is? It's so interesting to me that he doesn't want the details about how they broke out of jail. Because apparently asking questions will give them answers they don't want to deal with. And I think if that's when we flip it and we look at what it means to be people of privilege looking in on something like that, we often don't want to ask questions because we don't want to deal with what the response will be. We don't want to deal with the answers. We just want to tell you the talking points we have already prepared, which is don't speak in this man's name in this case, right? You're filling all of Jerusalem with these lies. Instead of asking questions, they shout, And it's a humbling confrontation for me to think about and maybe for you because it's not an uncommon response from those who believe they have the final say, who have the control and who have the power to say, this is how it is. This is what you should do. It's the complete opposite of what the people of God are doing as they try to discern what God is up to. So here's how the story goes. Now, Peter's there. They kind of shout at him. And Peter and the apostles replied like this. We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Even in Peter's many responsive sermon, we see again this emphasis. We see the work of the Spirit speaking to Peter and the apostles and testifying to what they've done, giving them the power to witness We see them giving the gospel, right? Here's what happened. Jesus was crucified and resurrected and you can repent and be forgiven. The word, and you see that they do it together and he says, we are witnesses of these things. We come together as a community affirming this. And every time that Peter and the apostles mention the crime of killing Jesus, they always add, but there's forgiveness, always striving to show that killing Jesus was in fact a crime worthy of death, but what was given from Jesus' death is offered to all, even you who killed him, he's saying. Which is a powerful message as he acknowledges he's got no place for their authority if it does not align with the will of God. And he's been working all along and those followers have been working all along to discern what that means. So after he's given this mini sermon in response, here's what happened. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Well, didn't quite work, huh? I guess they did not take him up on the opportunity to be forgiven, to repent. But as they become furious and decide they're going to kill these apostles, Who's really in danger here? Those in power or the apostles? Because this brings us back to how we have a tendency to read the Bible and forget we're reading from a position of being given power or some authority or some privilege. 
And so here we have the high council feeling as if the apostles with their inspiring faith and their lack of fear, it's a threat to their sense of control and comfort and way of living, which is one in which they get to be in charge. And so they react like those who are the powers that be have a tendency to react and they decide to kill them because they can, because they have the power to do so. However, one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men, that is the apostles, be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Now again, imagine the scenario. They brought them back in, they yell at them. Peter says, here's a sermon, guys. I got something for you. I would really love it if you repent and be forgiven and turn to God. And they're like, we wanna kill you. And then this one guy who's a part of that council stands up. He stands up and he says, hey, could we get the apostles out of here? He turns to his colleagues and he says, men of Israel, Take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Theodos, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing, which is probably why we're not Theodosians. <laughs> After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee, he got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Just imagine being in that room. And notice the way in which Gamaliel speaks, right? There is not the same theory with which the other members of the council spoke. There's a gentleness to his approach almost. And what's ironic about it is that we, at least as we listen in on it, we tend to pay attention. He doesn't say something louder or angrier. He uses his position to speak up on behalf of those who don't have a voice in this situation. And yet, here's what happens. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged, so kind of accepted his advice. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Do you think they listened? No, because here we are. We can relate, right, if reading from a place of power because we like to get in the last parting shot often as well. When, when we're in a position where we wanna be in control and, and we know we have the say, like our last parting shot, ours is typically not flogging, but we can relate. To throw one last shot in there. But here's how they respond to a flogging in the words that say, never speak the name of Jesus again. This is what really compels and challenges and convicts us. The apostles left the high council rejoicing 
that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. They flogged them, said don't ever speak Jesus' name again. They walked away rejoicing that they were able to join in the suffering of Jesus and it says every day they kept saying Jesus is the Messiah. They could not stop. Let that sink in. When we face something that makes us uncomfortable, something that leads to suffering, something that breaks us down, do we suffer and continue, right? When our, our comfort is assaulted, how do we respond? Do we rejoice? Like, I, I know I don't. Will we rejoice to suffer in the name of Jesus? Because as the apostles are proving to us, and the all early followers who were watching their example, right? Remember, this is the group who were leading these early followers, and they're all watching as these apostles show up in these places, get flogged, get arrested, keep coming back, keep coming back, saying Jesus is the Messiah, as they keep responding with an opportunity for any who object them to repent and be forgiven to turn to the way of God. As that happens, they're watching these apostles who are imitating the way of Jesus, and they're making the connection. So now, how do we discern what it actually looks like to live like Jesus? We need a community around us to lead us in that way. We need to pay attention to the leading of the Spirit. And we need to have a foundation of the Word. We need to put those together and follow in the footsteps of these early Jesus followers. But I still can't get over that rejoicing and suffering piece. And I can't shake the idea that you can only suffer for the sake of Jesus if you're doing something for the sake of Jesus. Otherwise, you won't end up suffering for Jesus. So let's enter into places of community. Let's invite the resurrecting, witnessing power of the Spirit to speak and let's obey the word of God. And then we'll follow this example of these early Apostles, they come together and then they go out. They come together and then they go out. And so to rejoice in this way of living, to rejoice in suffering for Jesus is to embrace the suffering of Jesus as the way to new life, as the way to live life. So our challenge becomes to follow then wherever that sacrificial love will lead. Let's be those kind of people. Let's take a moment and just be still. I wanna give you space to reflect on what God might be saying to you in all of this. Uh, you can pray, you can just sit and be still, you can ask him to, to speak some things to you and I'll close this in a moment. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we we long to discern what it is you're saying to us, to discern who it is you're asking us to be. And so we ask again that you would speak. 
And I pray that we would have ears to hear. And I pray that we would not be prone to give in to the temptation to follow you in isolation, Lord. But that you would draw us into community. You would bring people around us. We would lay down parts of our life to be a part of a life-giving community. I ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, illuminate your word. That you would let it sink deep into our lives so that we might be the people of God you intend for us to be. People known for our fruit, known for the way in which we imitate your son, Jesus. Let us live lives, God, of love, of of sacrificial love. Pray that you would help us even to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love those around us as ourselves. God, let that be the thing that defines us as a community. And will we be reminded that as we say yes to you, you leave us with the gift of your spirit And your spirit indwells us and provides us with the power in which to live the life you've called us to, God. And as we do that as a community, as a family of God here today, would you get all of the glory? Would you continue to restore and transform this valley, this country, this world? If it's even just through the beginnings of little old believers in Bozeman, Montana. So you be the glory, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.